You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And me, Ian Morris. And if you're one of our patrons, this is your extended, ad-free, higher-quality all the other things version of this week's show. And thank you to our new or upgraded patrons. Since last episode, David Sheard, Stuart Hind. I want to say Hind. Could be Hindi. I'm going to go for Hind. Hind. I think Hind. I think Hind too. Will Dawson and Peter. Um, thank you very much, guys, for uh, for upgrading or joining us for the first time. It's fantastic to have you with us. They are some of the people um, who are getting access to our new sister show, Extra Message, our live streams, our unedited, unedited and uncensored versions, much more. You can join them and support us for the same amount as buying us a beer once a month or a coffee by going to patreon.com forward slash UK tech. Okay, well, let's don our speedos in and let's swan dive into this week's pool of news. EE said this week it would switch on its 5G network for consumers on the 30th of May. And future fans, that's less than one week away from, it is. from the time of recording. Well, isn't it actually exactly? Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly a week away from our time of recording, but not from your time of listening. Time. I mean, the fact is it's already switched on because you can use it here, but that's by the by. Um, <laughs> you will be able... In fact, no, I've skipped a paragraph. EE said this week that it's going to switch on the 5G network for consumers on the 30th of May, and it'll go live in London, Cardiff, Edinburgh, Belfast, Birmingham, and Manchester, my old stomping ground. You'll be able to choose from a number of phones here. Yeah, I know you won't, but one can choose. In fact, one of them is the OnePlus 7 Pro 5G. Another is the Samsung Galaxy S10 5G. Another is the Oppo Reno 5G or the LG V50 Thin. <laughs> Stupid. Think, I think it's called. Oh, yeah. With Thick. a Q. Ridiculous. Um, and as will come to no surprise to probably anyone who remembers EE's 4G launch, prices are firmly in the high end. For example, and I've done a little bit of comparison here, you can get a Samsung Galaxy S10 5G with 256 gigabytes of storage and 30 gigabytes of data 3.0. That will cost you £79 a month. Dear God. Now, that does get you the phone for almost nothing. I think it's about a tenner that you pay in advance. But nonetheless, that is still the best part of £80 a month. It's a hell of a commitment to jump on a technology that is still so nascent and subject to change. Yeah, it's entirely pointless. As, four, as 5G is. I mean, I, 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 you'd have to be a real enthusiast to go for that. I mean, I'm not saying that people are wrong to do it, because I would. there was a time when I would have been very excited by that. Well, have you got SIM-only pricing? I have not seen SIM-only pricing. At the moment, I think it all comes with phones. Because you can't really buy the phones, can you? I mean, no. But eventually, you probably well, can. Yeah, but say if you were... I don't know. I mean, I don't know why you'd want to do it. But say if you had a 4G thing and you just wanted to switch on 5G. I f- because I find that the more interesting price comparison. Because that tells you exactly how much more it costs to go to 5G. Whereas this doesn't really. Because the phones are more expensive for 5G. And it's sort of kind of obfuscates the pricing we have to we have to wait i mean and we're going to go through this in, in a little bit more detail in um in a bit but we only have two networks we don't have a wide range of phones yet as you say we haven't even technically got one live 5g network yet so it is a bit premature to be 
you know, comparing the whole of the market, but we can compare two of the markets because we do have Vodafone prices as well. Vodafone doesn't seem to be charging any more for 5G specifically, but the prices I find are very, very close to EEs. You can pre-order the Samsung Galaxy S10 5G, so the same phone, on Vodafone for its July network launch. And if you pay £49 up front, so pay a little bit more up front for the phone versus EE, you still get 30 gig of data and that costs you £66 a month. So over the course of a two-year contract, that's a lot less than EE. Um, in fact, you can I looked, you can get 100 gig of data on Vodafone uh, with the same 49 quid upfront fee for £77 a month. That's still £2 a month less than EE for 30 gig. So I, I, so far to me, it looks like Vodafone is the cheaper of the two. EE is the earliest of the two. And we haven't yet got apples and apples to like pure network comparison. We'll have to wait until July to do that. And both networks obviously have loads of offers that are unique to them, like zero-rated video streaming on some of them or Apple Music on others, BT Sports. Like, th there's there's loads of perks. They're broadly painted with the same brush, and it's going to be bloody expensive whoever you go with. But that's not the reason we wanted to talk about this today, because the other main thing that was released this week, other than the news that EE has a date for its network being switched on, is that we've now got some coverage maps of what we mean when we say it will be available in London. And it's not looking good, is it? It's looking about as I expected, and if I'm honest, maybe slightly better. Actually, I think than that's I, fair. Than I, 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 expected. Got, I, I expected it to be a lot more patchy than that. Yes, and at the moment, I only have I only have this raw data for London, so we are going to have to assume that we could extrapolate over the other cities that we know these networks are going to go live in for Manchester, for example. But in London right now, um, it's. Yeah, I mean, we're dealing with a problem in London that we've got some buildings that are literally hundreds of years old and some brand new high rise modern ones as well. So saying, you know, saying London is going to get 5G isn't actually that that helpful, which is why I got EE to send me this um, this uh, this map. If you look, if you imagine in your mind's eye, imagine the beginning of EastEnders mm. when it's nice and zoomed out, you're basically seeing most of London in the most zoomed out frame of EastEnders. Right. So imagine that based on this map. I reckon about 25%, would Fair. you would you say? Yeah. Altogether is... Maybe, a, maybe scotch more, actually. A scotch more, possibly. That's what it looks like. You know, if you were to get a boat and sail down the Thames through the centre of London, you'll probably have 5G all the way. It seems to overlap the river almost entirely, but definitely significantly more of... Uh, London north of the river than south of the river. Well, it's probably quite easy to cover the river because there are no buildings on it. This is, to be fair, <laughs> true. But with 5G, because the, the base stations only cover sort of like, you know, this, I mean, they, they call them block. We don't have blocks here, mm. but, you know, a, a block of buildings, that's kind of all one mast will do. So yeah. there's quite a lot of masts that are obviously being deployed here for this. Um, yeah. And it goes farther north than I was expecting it. Doesn't, well, it actually hits the M25. Exactly, yeah. At the north. I doesn't mean, not quite, quite at the south. Doesn't quite hit where I live, but it's more than I was expecting. But you might get it on the train out, looking at that map, maybe. Yeah, but, well, could you imagine on a train, it's, it's hard enough for it to keep maintain a 4G signal. Than, than it will for 5G, unless the train itself has 5G and some... No, I would have, I would have thought that it would have been... I, I would have thought 5G would have been better at handing off to cells. I would have thought that would want to be one of the things you'd well, improve as time goes on, because well, there's hand the point. off has always been 
the problem. There's, but there's the issue as time goes on. This is early. This is phase one. You know, we're talking five years away before we get to the kind of, you know, multi-gigabit speed that 5G is going to offer. And that's one of the reasons why, more so even than 4G, I think, this time, people need to be really mindful about jumping on the 5G bandwagon because... As we've talked about before, it's not all purely about speed. It is about things like latency. Um, and the the patchiness, I think, is going to be exacerbated simply by virtue of the fact that they the, 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 the antennas, the masts, can't broadcast as far. Mm. And we've got so many weird-shaped buildings in London. So I, I'm anticipating, through no fault of... EE or Vodafone or anyone else at this point in the rollout, that there will probably be quite a lot of disappointed people straight out of the gate, unless they've been told what to expect up front. I just, I just don't think the public is that bothered about 5G. I mean, as a rule, I, I don't think that people are going to be prepared to pay a premium for it outside of the very, very enthusiastic. Mm. Um, so I don't see it as a problem. I think 5G, we're at the point now where 4G is good for most people. It's yeah. quite quick. Um, I don't think there's going to be masses of the members of the general public clamouring for better speeds. I think the problem we've got really <clears throat> is um, is just that it's until it until the prices start to come down. I just don't think people are going to be fast. Well, let me stop you there, Ian, because I read something interesting when I was speak when I was emailing EE actually about a couple of questions to um, to the whole rollout, and they said they're going to roll out about a hundred extra sites every month mm-hmm. to, to, to 5G, which is good. And I do remember that when the 4G rollout was happening, happening, it was pretty quick to roll that out. But here's the interesting, here's the nub, if you like, in the, in that, uh, the devil in the, in the old detail here. It was this line that they said, quote, as well as upgrading more than 100 sites to 5G every month, EE is expanding 4G coverage into rural areas and adding more capacity to 4G sites by turning 3G signal into 4G to enable more spectrum for a better network experience. So, the the upshot of this is, is that the 5G rollout essentially could make your 4G faster. Yeah. Which means you get the best of both worlds. You get yeah. a faster network yeah. without having to pay any extra money. Yeah, it's great. You know, And, and that- in fact, actually, you might be paying less money because I've noticed that the trend with the... I mean, this is to be expected, but I have noticed that the prices have been falling... On EE, I mean, I've got a, I got a hundred gigabytes of data, unlimited calls, and unlimited text for thirty pounds a well, month. There you go. Yeah, we talked about that on last week's show because Vodafone had a deal as well, similar one. Mm. But um, yes, but I'm not going to be on Vodafone. No, no, no. We know all this. So anyway, the upshot is that if you're on four G, it might be getting faster, and if you're stuck on three G in rural areas, you may get four G for the first time, all for the price of nothing, um, because the early adopters down here in London and Manchester in the north and uh, in other cities are essentially footing that bill. So that's great. Um, we want to hear any thoughts that you have. Are you going to be buying a 5G phone? Are you happy with the prices? And do have a look at them. You know, we, we've been a little bit critical here, but we kind of have to be just because of the expense involved. And we don't think people should just run out and, and get one of these. Certainly Ian and I aren't going to be doing that. Um, and we don't want to be unfair. Like, networks have to start somewhere. The speeds are impressive. And it is a, a significant small step on a you know, on a massive industry-changing journey. Just got to keep in mind, I think, that this is very much still for early adopters. But let us know if you're going to be one of those early adopters. Hello at techpodcast.uk. That's where to send it. Um, send it. Send email, mm. which, uh, frankly, will be exactly as fast on 3G, probably. Probably. As 4G. 
Well, the big story of the week, and indeed for the year in many respects, is that Huawei is being dangled over a super volcano and all its friends are letting go of it one by one. In a nutshell, and I'm going to monologue a little bit here because I've been buried in this headfirst for the last five days and I'm exhausted. Um, Donald Trump signed an order last week that effectively put Huawei on a blacklist of companies. It's a very special blacklist, Ian probably probably seen it um because it tells any american company they can't do business with any entity on it right huawei yes um and this hurts huawei in so many ways it's almost hard to believe uh, i think is happening take something like one of the popular smartphones which you'll have noticed uh, did not appear in our previous roundup of the 5g phones available on ee um to make those, it needs to buy glass for the screen. Uh, and that a lot of that comes from an American company called Corning. Mm. So it can't buy that glass anymore. Uh, it also uses processors made by Qualcomm, an American company. So that means even if it could assemble a phone, it wouldn't be able to turn on. Plus, those phones run on Android, which Google makes. And Google is, of course, an American company. So with just those three examples of components, Huawei is left basically building a phone with no screen, no processor, um, and no software. Nobody would want to buy that, even with 5G, mm. which I, Qualcomm makes the <clears throat> chips for. And I, Well, I noticed that Arm has also announced that it's um, not going to be supporting yes. Huawei. That's that's two paragraphs down. Oh, is it? Yes. I do apologise for that. But it, well, it is relevant, though, because obviously yes. you, you said Qualcomm, and I don't actually think Huawei uses uh, Qualcomm yes, chips, it does. does it? Does it? it well, does, for five G, for four G and stuff, such uh, for the processors, it does. I don't know about the actual radios. Right. Yeah. It okay. may it may use um, another one, but um, but the point is is that that's three components. That's three types of components in just one product line. That's basically um, kind of screwed. No one would want to buy it, and if nothing was to change, it would need to find new sources for all of those components. And the list of components in a phone is way longer than this, so it's pretty devastating. But that's only part of the problem because Huawei, as I said, makes more than just phones. It makes those the equipment that goes into phone networks. It makes the masts, you know, the 5G masts that we've talked about, um, only having a limited range for 5G. Well, Huawei makes those as well. And we've talked about that before now and about the government reviews that are taking place worldwide that would mean Huawei's equipment is essentially being ripped out, not bought, and if bought, ripped out. And if you missed our explanation of that, we did, I think it was two weeks ago, so episode 168. Uh, we, we go into a lot more detail about that and specifically related to what the UK review um, is uh, is churning up. And as you said, Ian, it could theoretically make its own processors. And it, and it does make plenty of its own chips, Huawei does. But most, if not all, I think, are based on designs made by Arm. And this is definitely where we start getting closer to home here, because Arm is a British company. Um, most, I mean, it's owned by a Japanese company and most of the designs, though, for its chips are actually developed in the US. And that means they can't sell to Huawei. So it's like saying, hey, sure, yeah, uh, make your own dinner instead of buying a ready meal, except, oh, by the way, you can't buy any ingredients. So, you know, good luck with a, a mixing bowl and, yes. a, and a fork. Um we're only scratching the surface here, but the above scenario with phones can pretty much be applied to any product of Huawei's. It also works the other way around, like with the telecoms equipment. Companies around the world depend on things Huawei makes and now aren't allowed to buy from them. That, I think, Ian, brings us nicely to our take on this and how it affects the UK. And as we said, we've, you know, we've covered the, the potential delays to 5G already on episode 168. 
And as companies this week started announcing the 5G network launches and promotions on the 5G-ready phones, we started seeing retailers here say they were going to stop offering Huawei's handsets. Friends of the show, a friend of the show, CNET's Katie Collins, uh, tweeted from an EE event that I couldn't get to this week to say, and she said, quote, yikes, EE has pulled Huawei devices from its initial 5G launch device lineup. And I remember being at Mobile World Congress in February at the Huawei event, getting a press release from EE saying, we're so proud, we're going to arrange the Mm. new Huawei Mate X, the 5G, we're going to arrange the home router. And all of that's been shot to ribbons now. Um, Who else do we have? Uh, Vodafone has axed its 5G Huawei handset offerings. Dixon's car phone said it's not going to sell them either. I saw that mention on TechRadar today. So what about the people who've already got a Huawei phone. Because they're very good and and very popular. Yes, and well-priced compared to iPhones. Tech reviewers have been going on about how great they are for so long now. Yeah, and and they've sold a lot of them. You know, um, it's a huge market for Huawei in Europe and in the UK. Is it the number two? They're the number two smartphone brand in the world, and I think Europe counts for about 30% of their business overall, but that does include telecoms equipment. Right, But it's still a huge, huge huge, uh, market for them. And there'll be people out there who don't care about 5G, but may still want to buy a Huawei phone. Mm. And a lot of the stuff that we've talked about only refers currently to 5G yes. in terms of the axing of products yes. for sale. But it might also apply to new phones. Well, it will apply to new phones made from now onwards, right? Yeah, exactly. But So I wanted to address first the, the first point. The people who have already bought a, phone, a Huawei phone in the UK maybe three or four weeks ago, you've signed up, you've got one of those great new products and you're now worried. You don't really need to be worried, at least for probably quite a while. Google has said... It's going to be able to keep sending out Android updates to phones that have already been sold. So you don't have to worry about Android just stopping working overnight. Mm. You can rest easy with that one. And I do believe that applies to apps and the Google Play Store and things yeah. like you know your YouTube music subscription. If you've got that, uh, you're fine, well, at l- least for the foreseeable future. Google can prevent you from having a YouTube music subscription on a Huawei, can they? Well, it all go, the subscriptions go through the Play Store, and the Play Store is yes. part of the... Google like yeah. authorized version, and that's the version that Google can't let Huawei have. They can have yeah. the AOSP, pure, yeah. yeah, the pure open source Android, mm. but that doesn't come with Google Play. Now, so that but would be now am I not re- remembering this correctly? That there was a there was a suggestion that the uh, the Google Play Store would actually become available for AOSP. It came up as part of the European Commission's antitrust. Yeah, I do think this is massively unfair. I agree i have a real sympathy for huawei about this because i i think one of the things that you'd expect with something so big as this where you're talking about l- probably literally the future of a company yeah is that you would you deserve some time to prove your what you're doing and and i think that usually in a, in a case like in some in a situation like this that would be done through the court you know there would be a tr- you know you would say right we believe that you are guilty of this crime and you'll come and defend yourself and people will show evidence and then at the end of it there will be a resolution and we will know either way whether or not there is any truth to this but the fact is what we've got is a bunch of global security services saying oh or or not even that we've got presidents and people saying you can't 
have a Huawei because they're spying on you or whatever. But there is no evidence. Now, that not, that's not to say that there isn't some evidence, but it has not been presented to us. Uh, on the second point of the ones that I made earlier, um, for potential customers, I was actually able to go through the shopping process for a 4G Huawei P30 on EE's website. It was still in a drop-down menu from their homepage and being promoted from the homepage, and I could advance through the checkout as far as actually paying. I don't know this for sure, but I suspect the stock that these networks have need to be sold. So why would they pull them off the website since they're, you know, they're already there? I don't know. It may just be too early for us to tell. But I reckon that maybe the problem will be once that inventory runs out, we'll start seeing listings falling away from websites like EEs for these non-5G phones because mm. they've already been sold into retailers. And so they could. there's probably some wiggle room there in terms of how they are counted as sold. Yeah. So if you want a Huawei phone, maybe now's not a terrible time to buy one in Britain as long as you don't want 5G and you don't mind the risk. And Well, and you're prepared to accept the fact that you might not get um, the latest version of Android. Yeah, but I mean, that's always a risk with Android, isn't it? Well, it's also, yeah, I mean, it's, well, it's, it's almost guaranteed because most providers are terrible at updating their versions of Android. I think the final UK-specific angle to this is that we essentially could be hit with a bit of a one-two punch um, of supply issues for 5G because... As we've said, networks may have to roll out more slowly because of the removal of yep. Huawei equipment in their back end. And with one major manufacturer less shipping phones into the country, the other manufacturers may sell out faster. I suppose there's always a the chance that no one wants to buy them anyway because it's expensive and or delayed. But either way, it's confusing and coming at kind of the worst possible time for the industry, certainly for Huawei and kind of for all of us. Well, it's a, te- it's a terrible time if you're a network operator like EE or Vodafone because Basically, you've announced your 5G networks, which contain Huawei equipment, like it or not. Um, and we are perhaps days away from the government saying it's got to be torn out and they won't have a choice. So, you know, it's it's is this is a, a what's the delicate way of saying shit show? Well, it's that anyway. It's a terrible situation. <laughs> Um, Well, uh, thoughts obviously welcome. Hello at techpodcast.uk on this. Um, It's a a very, very hot topic this year, I think, in terms of, um, well, I mean, it's the entire world. It's not even just the UK, but there's so many different angles to uh, it. It's an onion with so many layers, Ian, I can't help but cry. Yes. Right, well, let's put 5G in a nice little black plastic bag here. I'm going to dump into one of those, you know, those small bins near the exit of the park. One for the nice little dog on Mm -hmm. the front. Don't worry, we'll come back to it when um, this situation stinks a bit less. Uh, Because I want to talk about electric bikes. And that, Ian, my my little sausage, my little new potato and side portion of petit pois, um, is because on Friday, Uber brought its dockless electric bike rental service to the UK with an initial rollout in North London. Big news if you like bikes. Yeah. According to me, since I was talking to Uber and wrote about this for Bloomberg this week, uh, about 350 bikes are going to be available through the company's main ride-hailing app. And there's about 3.5 million people use that, so there's mm. a pretty uh, big potential here. And it follows similar launches that Uber's done of these bikes. They're called Jump, that's the brand, uh, across North, uh, North America and continental Europe. And Uber said it was going to expand to more uh, 
parts of the country uh, and London later in the year. Now, this is particularly interesting to me for reasons anyone who knows about my fascination with electric scooters will find obvious. Cities Uber's bike rental uh, service is already in, like LA in the US, or Paris, which isn't. They've got competition from the massive popularity of electric scooters, but they are still ridiculously illegal in Britain. Uh, and we also haven't really got any sort of a network of electric bikes here either. So the market's wide. Well, there are some, aren't there? Aren't Lime? Oh, there's a few dotted around, but it's, it's not like... bike or whatever it's called. It's not as prevalent as regular push bikes, of which we've got about 12,000 just in London. Yeah. And we don't have scooters. So there's very little comparable competition. I mean, than- this doesn't make any sense to me because the scooter thing is if people... It, I, I was thinking about this the other day, um, out, in, out in the sort of suburban London... Scooters are a little bit more of a problem because the tr- they they can cause slow. D- I mean, not massively. I was stuck behind one the other day. That's the only reason I was thinking about it. However, in this city where the average speed is like nine miles an hour, there is no safety or legislative reason not to allow electric scooters. It, it should be as legal as a bike, an electric bike, which is perfectly legal. Yeah, and go faster than these scooters yes. do. Certainly goes faster than mine. Um. So I, I like this because, I mean, I hope it kickstarts industry a little bit. And I hope Uber does it responsibly because a lot of people do complain that bikes end up getting, you know, dumped on pavements and, and things like that. But They do, but there's but no it, way to stop that, is there? London, for the most part, is quite flat. Yes. Where I come from in Derbyshire, it's known for, the, for its hills. I mean, it's called the Peak District mm. for a very good reason. It's very, very hilly. It's the kind of place where riding a bike is, and I mean this quite literally, a ball ache. Mm. And I've many years experienced that. Um, but presumably Uber's not talking about bringing it to rural Derbyshire anytime soon. Derbyshire? I know, I did really screw that up. Derbyshire. Derbyshire. Yes. Yes. No, but that's my point, is that I think these sorts of services could do great business if they could roll out to some of these hilly areas. You don't need it in Norfolk, you don't need it in London, but you need it in the Highlands of Scotland, and you need it in the Peak District. Yeah. Just then, there are fewer people potentially to use and, uh, and you yeah, know, but recharge those. An electric bike costs £800 now. In yeah. five years' time, it'll cost £300. Suppose. Same as a normal bike. Really, I think this is all happening too late for it to really have a noticeable impact i mean i've had i've tested an electric bike and it was fabulous yeah they're good um and it mean it, it it means that you can commute from you know say say you live in say if you're a londoner and you live in earlsfield you could come into the city i mean it's a bit probably a bit far but not too much i i went out to surbiton on this electric bike from um that's further than earlsfield yes it is um and, and went went from surbiton to uh, london bridge and was fine because it just takes the you don't get sweaty so much because you get a little bit of extra support you know you're going up a hill it's not going to tire you out get you know get to the office and it's at you and you're presentable so from that perspective and we could take lots of cars off the road if we you know if if people were encouraged to buy electric bikes so i'm a, a very big fan of the idea um i just i don't like the ride I don't. I don't like the highest the bikes because they're they're unpleasant. Frankly, they're not nice to ride. You probably don't have your helmet with you. They're a bit dangerous, and you know they're, they're just not great. If Uber can release better bikes, I'm sceptical because there's obviously you can't. The each bike has to be relatively cheap. Otherwise, when it gets thrown in a canal, you you know you're scuppered basically. 
Yeah, I, I just think that, you know, of all the things that Uber and companies like Uber are doing, you know, this is one of the areas that really could benefit and and, and take off in more than just the cities, you know, in parts of the rural not necessarily countryside, yeah. but you know, less populous towns and mm. and towns that do have big hills and yeah. And electric like bikes are super popular with people who are a little bit older who um, who don't have quite the you know mobility that they would have. You know, they don't want to be cycling a bike up hills. Electric bikes are incredibly popular with that that age group, and they do enormous good because they're not you're not completely reliant on electric power you have to cycle as well to stay with compliant with the law in this country um so they're still a good form of exercise mm. well this this is the reason I, I wanted to talk about this it's not a massive story but but it was for that that specific point that i wanted to raise and i, and I do hope that this that this happens and uh, and we see more of it because it's one of these things we don't want to be too stuck in our little m25 london bubble this is definitely one of those sorts of uh, products and, and pieces of technology that could benefit people outside of the cities so make it happen uber well in the mailbag this week we've run long actually this week um so we've just got one little message i wanted to read have from here from uh, alexis who says genuinely enjoying the podcast you sound surprised. Thank you. He started listening on Stitcher, apparently. That's our new... Um, now, that seemed to be a popular thing. Apparently so, but I didn't realise until two weeks ago that we weren't on it, and I spoke to them, and now we're on it. And Alexis listens to us on Stitcher, Good. and he's genuinely enjoying it. Um, he says he's got to keep a list of things he disagrees with or wants to clarify. Um, he says he hasn't listened to us for a decade. So God, we have been doing this a long time, haven't we? we I haven't. mean, not this specific thing, but things like this thing. Well, longer than a decade. Mm. 12 years, mm. in fact. Um, but let's check in with someone who's been doing it for even longer. That is Tom Merritt of Daily Tech News Show, uh, who keeps us informed about the wider non-British world. I'm doing a world thing with my hands, mostly, uh, here in person. Uh, he's going to tell us what we've been missing. Tom. This week on Daily Tech News Show, we have all the news you need to understand the U.S. trade restrictions on Huawei, a way to tell what color 3 million-year-old mouse fur was, why googly eyes help us like robots more, especially children, Tesla driver Allison Sheridan tells us whether we need to worry about Consumer Reports' problems with Tesla's automatic lane changing, and Shelley Brisbane tells us how tech companies are doing with accessibility. All that and much more at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Thank you, Tom. Thank you again to our patrons enjoying us enjoying us i hope you are enjoying us but also thank you for supporting us every week um you are what are they to, you're you're like a trust mm -hmm. a constant source of support um it was a big show this week big big one for friday um but if you're not yet a patron and would like to uh, to get our ad-free versions our extended versions you can join us live we've had a whole bunch of people in the chat this week dawson camille m kv Noxie, Pangolin Sandwich, Paul Midder, Stephen Huxtable, <laughs> others who have definitely been in there but aren't at the moment because we've recorded... Listing things is definitely the way to keep this podcast short, isn't it? Absolutely. And you can support us doing those lists, get extra message, uh, get our live streams and all that stuff by going to patreon.com forward slash UK tech. Maybe help us finish uh, the month with one more than we had last month. And I will tell you now, Ian, I am wearing not only a brand new pair of pants, mm -hmm. but... And I'm going to take my shoe off. Oh, good. A little bit pro. Can you notice something different about my feet? Holy mother of earth. The Can man's wearing matching socks. And this today is the first time that I've worn this pair because I bought them. Well, that's the only reason you would ever wear matching socks, isn't it? I apologise that I have nothing on for the rest of my body. <laughs> um, but that's why we need an extra patron because, you know, 
every patron is another bit of my body covered up. You can up. stop Nate from driving me insane by wearing odd socks. And Ian can stop buying uh, Noel Edmonds's uh, disused oh, you, shirts. You biatch. I like that shirt. That's yeah. the one you left at my house. No, isn't? it isn't. It's isn't a it? completely different shirt. Yeah, they look similar, but it's they nice. do. They're they're, nice. They're, they have a they have a floral theme. Do you want to do your bit now? Uh, yeah, send us an email. Hello at techpodcast.uk. <laughs> it's true. You can follow us on Twitter. I think Twitter's the place, really, isn't it? I'd like to see more people t- tweeting at us on Twitter. But I, uh, yeah, because I think Twitter is actually a genuinely useful resource because we tweet out the story, well, you tweet out the stories, um, and people can actually get a feel for what the show will be like and they can interact with us and tell us what they think and we can read those out. Well, it doesn't happen a lot, but do do that. It's good. It, it does. I mean, honestly, there is nothing that ever goes into the show that isn't tweeted out because yeah. that's yeah. that's basically how I keep track of all the stories we might talk about is by tweeting them as they happen throughout the week and then I go through that list at the end of the week to create the short list yeah. that we then pluck out our favourite ones for the show. So well, anyway, it's at text message pod. It is. And we will see you in a week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.